and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined, as always, by Joe Wolfon. What up? And Joseph Sharo. What's going on? We are going to preview uh, free agency. Um, by the time the next podcast comes out, it will be July 1st, and free agency would have officially kicked off. Uh, and there's obviously a lot of free agents on the market. There's a lot of uh, you know trade candidates out there as well. Um, a lot could change in the next week. Uh, or so. So we're going to devote this podcast to somewhat a, of a free agency primer. Uh, and we'll start with the unrestricted free agents, um, the ones most of note. Uh, LeBron, obviously number one, top of everyone's list. A report came out today from Ramona Shelburne that um, Le- LeBron's not interested in sitting and taking these extravagant meetings. Cash, what do you think that says about LeBron's state of mind in free agency? I just think... It's a different stage of his career. You know, he's all business now. Mm-hmm. And um, he's already kind of been there, done that with these elaborate pitches that teams make. You know, in 2010, it was, a, if you guys remember the circus of 2010 and the teams that were like coming to see him and the like the elaborate pitches they were constructing. Like, I think the Nets at the time were still in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. did like a Sopranos themed pitch to him with James Gandolfini in it. Like for real, like teams went all out, man. Right. Um, so LeBron has seen it all when it comes to pitches. I'm sure in 2014, you know, teams were as aggressive as they were then as well. So I just think from LeBron's perspective, it's like there's nothing you can really show him in a in a pitch that mm-hmm. he hasn't seen before. Or that's actually going to sway him. I think at this point, it's all about basketball and business, and 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 he's going to make his decision based on things that he sees on the floor or in the front office or, or whatnot. Yeah, I kind of feel like. I think we all expect that this is going to be a, an internal decision anyway. Like he is going to evaluate, you know, every factor from basketball to off-court stuff, and like, you know, him and his camp are, are kind of going to come to that decision on their own. I feel like if he's meeting with teams, probably what he wants to know from them is what's the plan? How are we putting together a team that can win a championship? You know, how are we going to beat the Warriors? Like, just cut and dry. Like, lay it on the table. Like, tell me how you think that you can pull this off um and then he can take that with him and kind of evaluate his options from there but yeah like cash i think uh explained it pretty well like i don't think he needs to be blown away or wowed by any kind of over-the-top extravagant pitch like he's been around the block um and i think ultimately he knows what he wants which is you know i think there there are off-court factors to consider but for the most part what he wants is is a chance to win more titles while he's still in his prime, basically, which he is, which is, you know, kind of insane to say for a 33-year-old, but um, he's still the best player in the league, so um, I think what he is looking for right now is just a chance to uh, to add to his ring count. Right. Um, right now, the obvious targets for where LeBron can end up are, uh, you know, back with the Cavaliers. He can choose to opt in. He still has another uh, three, four days to make that decision. Um, of course, if he opts out, he can still re-sign with the Cavaliers, so that's not too big of an issue. Um, but you know, obviously the Lakers are a huge candidate for him in terms of, uh, where he could end up. And, you know, he's talked a lot about his family and how much that's important to him. Um, we've seen the clips of his uh, 13 year old son, uh, LeBron James Jr. Bronny. Um, he, you know, looks to be a fantastic player. I mean, who knows? I don't have a lot of experience, uh, evaluating 13 year old, uh, you know, basketball players, but Everything looks solid on that end, and if, and honestly, if you really want to develop as a player in the AAU circuit, um, there's no better place really than LA to do that. Um, but you know, there's also Houston as well, and Philadelphia is another possibility. But I mean, 
realistically, it's sounding a lot like it's going to come down to either the Cavs or the Lakers. At least that's what uh, um, Brian Windhorst's opinion was on a recent podcast. And, you know, who knows LeBron better than Brian Windhorst? Can I tell you what I want to see happen? Sure. More than anything? I would love to see the Pelicans sign and trade Boogie for LeBron. I feel mm. like that would be a, a great basketball situation and incredibly fun to watch. Like him and Anthony Davis together. Um, and Drew Holiday is honestly like a perfect point guard, I think, to play alongside him as well. And I don't know. Weirdly, I think that they would have a shot. Like that team would be pretty well equipped, I think, to go toe-to-toe with the Warriors. Like um, Nikola Mirotic at this point is, I don't know. Like, do you think that Kevin Love is better than Nikola Mirotic? Yes. Yeah. In a LeBron type role, though, like they'd be similar enough. That's what I mean. Like, Miritich was great. Considering in the that a lot of a lot of Kevin year. Love's a lot yeah. of Kevin Love's offensive skills sort of go to waste, honestly, playing with LeBron. Like, he, sure, he it's, it as, overlaps. He ends yeah. up as a spot up guy way more often. Um, so like the playmaking stuff that he brings is is sort of shunted to the side a little bit. And I think Miritich is like leaps and bounds better than him at the defensive end. So you have a guy like that who can space the floor offensively and and switch on defense. Um, you have Anthony Davis, who would be the beneficiary of a lot of incredible LeBron James lob passes. And uh, you have Drew Holiday, who's a point guard who can defend his face off and play off the ball mm-hmm. uh, as well as he can play on the ball. So um, I know that's obviously a pipe dream. I don't know if like LeBron harbors any hopes of playing in the Bayou, but uh, that would be fun as hell. It would be fun. Yeah. yeah. Don't think it'll ever happen. No, no but for the Cavs, too. Like I, I mean, obviously LeBron would have to sign off on it, but like for them to get somebody like Boogie, you know, as opposed to losing LeBron for nothing is, I don't know. That's not bad from their perspective. I don't know if you want Boogie in Cleveland coming off and it, like, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Well, I'm, what are they looking at otherwise? You know? It's true. They're, There's not a lot of options. Although they want to keep Kevin Love, so. I feel like Boogie, what, we're devoting a lot of time to something that <laughs> right. would never happen. But I just I wanted think, to put it out there. Yeah. as like a, a it is, possibility it's that, it is that I think would be really awesome and fun uh, to watch. But um, I, I think Boogie, like, probably making max money um you might be like too good to fully tank but nowhere near good enough and i don't think anyone's coming to cleveland to play with boogie like i i think that would be a but disaster they for tank. the cash they they're out there saying like they, they want to like, remain competitive even if lebron leaves so. i feel like teams always say that and yeah then, like they kind of said that last time he left mm-hmm. right well they said more than that yeah they, they guaranteed said, they a championship that. before like i right but then but i think they followed through on that like they didn't really go fully into the tank right they were like trading for luol dang right like, they made terrible decisions they just kept right. getting bailed out by the lottery yeah exactly so it's not like they weren't true to their word last time you know what i'm saying like i could see them trying to remain competitive just because i mean i don't know who, who really knows what what they're thinking about internally but um yeah uh that's that was just one possibility that was bouncing around my head uh it and, would be nice i mean if that team if the team basically if the Pelicans had that roster, but they were playing in LA, I think LeBron definitely goes there. Yeah. But it's just, um, yeah, I just don't really envision him going to New Orleans, um, even though they have a nice situation. Uh, the next guy, Chris Paul, um, it seems like entirely, I don't know, it seems like a guarantee that he wants to resign uh, with the Rockets. Obviously, the Rockets on this first year there had a really successful season, winning 65 games, um, going up 3 2 in the West Conference. Uh, Western Conference Finals, but I mean, if you're the Rockets and you look at this 
uh, situation you have with Chris Paul, you probably try to negotiate a little bit to get his number down because you probably don't want to give him the full five-year, $205 million max, which, by the way, that contract will be the biggest contract ever signed. Of course, we're going to say that repeatedly because um, you know the previous high was Steph Curry at 201, but the cap keeps going up, so the numbers are going to keep going up. But you, know, you don't want to be paying Chris Paul uh, – Forty-five million dollars when he's thirty-eight years old, and I think if you can avoid that, if you and if the Rockets, you know, if they look around the free agency, they don't see a lot of cap room. Um, there might not be that many suitors for Chris Paul. Like maybe you say to Chris Paul, like, "Hey, listen, we'll try to get you on a four-year deal, but we're not going five years." I think. Look, I think it would be smart to get him at less than the full max, um, right. and I think Chris Paul as one of the smartest minds in basketball, probably knows that as well. The thing that kind of fascinates me, though, is um, Chris Paul's position with the Players Association. And a lot of times, like, I know people only see it as basketball and and this and that, but these things do matter. Mm -hmm. And Chris Paul being, I believe, the president of the Players Association. Yep. um, I think there's, like, aesthetics that come with it, and I don't think he's necessarily okay with the aesthetics of him taking less than the max. True. Um. Whether the Rockets will be able to swallow that, I don't know. But I don't think the Rockets want to create like ill will with Chris Paul. Um, yeah. And so as prudent as Daryl Morey is, I think if – I don't know, man. Like it, it is a lot of money for Chris Paul at 38 years old. And there are some health issues there, uh, especially later in the season. But mm-hmm. again, I just – I don't know if Chris Paul is willing to deal with the aesthetics of the president of the Player Association. Um, still pretty much near his prime. Right, uh, taking a discount, and, and I don't know if the Rockets can afford that ill will. Yeah, I wonder also if there were any conversations about you know what his next contract would look like because he he opted into the final year of his deal, right? That's a huge yeah. risk for yeah. for a guy who's on the wrong side of thirty. He did them a favor last he year. He did absolutely, and I mean he did himself a favor too right. because he got to go to the situation that he wanted to. But he took a big risk by opting in. You know, like there was not a lot of security there, and like you said, he has a history of injuries, so um, he took a chance and. There was definitely a wink-wink agreement That's that he would resign. And, and, you know, like in the last CBA, which Chris Paul, as president of the Players Union, helped negotiate, he, they changed that over-36 rule to the over-38 rule, mm. um, you know, which would basically allow him <laughs> to get paid max money like through his age 38 season. So um, it's easy to, to read the tea leaves and say, like, he's expecting a max offer to come his way. Right. And, you know, Daryl Morey is obviously, you know, one of the smartest executives in the league, but I think he would also feel comfortable, you know, trading the ugly back end of that contract for like the first two or three years of being a championship contender. And they need Chris Paul in order to be a championship contender. They need full buy-in from him and doing anything to alienate him at this point, I don't think would be particularly smart on their part. Right. And look, I have full faith that the Rockets will eventually sign Chris Paul. It's just that, like, if they did have an agreement, which I think they did, obviously they can't come out and say it because that's, you know, that circumvents the CBA. But, you know, it's pretty clear they had an agreement. However, um, they changed owners over that time. And so maybe that agreement has changed a little bit. I mean, look, the new owner, um, he has said that after the season he wanted to re-sign Chris Paul and, you know, they want to keep Capella as well. We'll see about Capella. But, you know... I'm sure they will try to honor the agreement with Chris Paul. Obviously, it was very successful, but I mean, you know, I, I think there will there will be a little bit more negotiating on that front um, than sort of previously anticipated. And and, and 
quite honestly, the Rockets should do that because there's not a lot of teams with cap space, right? Like, there's nowhere else Chris Paul can really go. Like, does he really want to take the max and go to Phoenix? Like, really? After all this time of chasing a ring, basically, like, you know, being one of the top point guards pretty much of all time, um, missing just one thing in the uh, trophy cabinet, which is really just, a, you know, a title. And, you know, do you want to take money to go to a team like the Bulls or like the, the Suns or even the Mavericks? Like, I mean, the Lakers could sense. max them out. Uh, okay. I feel like the Lakers okay. might not have any qualms about maxing them out, you know, especially if if LeBron going there is part of the bargain. Sure. Um, like that is a realistic possibility. Um, the Sixers have the space to do it. I don't know if they'd be willing to um, compromise their flexibility that way, but um, there are teams out there who could, you know, swallow hard and make that max offer and, and not come away feeling too bad about it. That's true. Yeah. And they can't really offer the last year the way that the Rockets can. Right. Um, okay. Another guy that is a big factor is, uh, Paul George. Um, recent reports kind of uniformly suggest he's warming up to the idea of staying in OKC, which, um, obviously he made it clear to everybody last summer that he wanted to be, um, in Los Angeles by 2019, where, which is where he grew up. And, you know, the, the Pacers ultimately traded him. It turned out to be a great trade for the Pacers, but, um, you know, OKC got him on that one-year rental. Um, they sort of spent the year trying to recruit him. It seems like him and Westbrook have developed a good relationship. And even though it flamed out spectacularly, like playoff P shot like two of nineteen or something like that in the in Game Six of the uh, of the Jazz series and lost in the first round. And what, while Westbrook shot like forty plus times, um, you know, it seems like Paul George is warming up to the idea of OKC and, and Cash, like. Could this actually happen? Could he stay in OKC? Yeah, sure, he could. Um, but, oh man, like, <laughs> listen, we I think we've talked about this like five times in the few months we've been doing this podcast. Paul George loves fishing. Uh-huh. He, loves, <laughs> he loves, he likes the whole small town thing. He loves but, catfishing. Yeah, he's also, uh, wow, he's also an LA guy. And like, you know, everyone seems to think that the LeBron going to L.A. is, like, Kawhi-related, that they're going to try to get LeBron and Kawhi. But, like, to me, Paul George is still out there. As It's just such an obvious fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just have such a hard time believing after all those years in Indiana and wanting to get out of that market. And then, uh, like, a pretty up-and-down and frustrating year in Oklahoma City where things didn't fit the way he probably hoped they would. Yep. That he would just be completely cool staying in a small market and locking himself in for another whatever at least a couple of years so i know the whispers are there but i still feel like i feel like this might be one of those things where like we go into july 1st and the reports are like yeah paul george is gonna stay and people kind of start forgetting about paul george mm-hmm. and then just out of nowhere it's like oh he took a meeting with this team things are progressing he's probably gonna leave so i if i had to put money on it i'd still put money on him leaving and i'll still throw out like don't think it would ever happen. This is kind of like Joe's pie and sky Pelicans thing. But I said this on one of our other podcasts. I think it'd be like a dream scenario. I think it'd be awesome if the Pacers found a way to get to bring Paul George back. Like <laughs> yeah. it would take some salary oh, cap gymnastics. You might have to move some things around. But I think a great it, fit there. he'd be a great fit there. And Oladipo's the partner he never had in Indiana. Yeah. Um, and also, like everyone's kind of laughing at the fact Donovan Mitchell's trying to recruit Paul George to U- Utah. Look, man, Paul George. Utah might be, if you look at, like, way teams are constructed, mm-hmm. Utah might actually be the absolute perfect fit for Paul George. Right. So We got a lot of fish, a lot yeah, of lakes. Listen, <laughs> great fishing in Utah. Great canyons. Yeah, just, sure. you know, um, appeals to his apparent... LA's not that far away. Small market love. Um, yeah, no, I, 
pie in the sky scenario would be Indiana. I actually think Utah's the best fit, but if he leaves, it's probably to go to an actual big market like LA. It's funny though because I, just based on the stuff that he has said uh, and what we know about him as a person, I haven't really gotten the sense from him that like he craves a big market or like the bright lights and all that attention that comes with it. Like from like how that scenario shook out in Indiana it really seemed like he just wanted to go to like a better basketball situation and that's why he wanted out not necessarily because he was looking to to like get to a bigger market he's Mm -hmm. obviously talked a lot about wanting to go play in LA because that's where he grew up but I feel like there are different factors at play there than just you know I want to go play in in a bigger market than Indiana uh or than Oklahoma City um I don't really get the sense that, that the small market thing bothers him that much um and I the reports about him re-signing an OKC are about him signing a one plus one. So um, that just kind of would give him a chance to feel the situation out for another year or maybe two um, and then re-enter free agency again when um, maybe like the picture is a little bit clearer. There Mm -hmm. are more options as far as teams that have cap space. um, More free agency you can team up with. Right. The situation might just be a little bit more fluid, right? Mm -hmm. And if he does do the one plus one and then opts into the second year, then he could hit free agency again in 2020 when he can sign like the, uh, the like for 35% of the cap, basically right. having been like a 10 year vet. Um, so there, there are a lot of balls. I feel like that he's probably juggling right now as he tries to make this decision, but um, doing a one plus one in OKC feels like, you know, you might kind of get the best of both worlds, right? Sure. He, there's probably more restaurants in OKC that he hasn't visited. Honest you know? question, I mean, though, like, um, and not that it's them, a surprise. I mean. We knew Mel- we knew Melo was going to opt in, but, like, how much does Paul George want to play with Carmelo Anthony again? Like, Yeah. I mean, look, they could do something with Carmelo, though. They could move that. It's They could stretch it. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. They could stretch Carmelo <laughs> if they wanted to. Um, Josh Smith got stretched with, like, five years left on his deal. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens there and whether, um, I mean, we talked about at the end of the year how he came out and said once again that he was not willing to come off the bench, basically. Um, I'm interested to see like how much uh, Billy Donovan and his staff take ownership of that situation mm. and um, you know, how much of a leash is he going to have after what we saw this past season? Well, when you make $27 million, it's a... It's usually a sign that you have a big leash, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. It's, it's obviously a, a growingly toxic situation. I think it's going to come down to if Paul George and Westbrook back Carmelo, or if they just kind of distance themselves. If they distance themselves, then yeah, Melo's gone. Um, the one issue with OKC is that um, they have a hundred and thirty-seven million dollars committed to next year. Uh, and it'll be similar to that when they re-sign Chris, or not when they sign Chris Paul, but when they re-sign uh, Paul George. And so there's not a lot of avenues to improve the team. Um, that bench is putrid, and um, a couple of them are free agents. Like, some of the best players on that bench are free agents, like um, Raymond Felton, which is not considered one of the best players anywhere else, is a free agent. He was actually kind of an important player for them last year. Think of um, how sad that statement is. Yep. And Jeremy Grant's a free agent. He was a pretty big piece for them as well. Like, I don't really know if they have other avenues to improve. So if you're Paul George and you look at that situation, I, I don't care if it's one plus one, one plus zero. What does it really matter? Like, I, I want to get out. Like, because that, that doesn't look like a great situation. But um, who knows, man? It seems like he really likes hanging around Westbrook. So that that's at least uh, one positive for OKC. Obviously, the uh, you know the Lakers have been mentioned a lot. Houston is always in the mix, and you know there's some 
not very solid reports that he, he you know Houston will chase him. And of course the Sixers as well. Um, Sixers are a wild card basically for everybody because um, it's just a nice opportunity to join the Sixers right now. They, they really look like they're on the upswing. Uh, and then finally, in terms of the major free agents, DeMarcus Cousins, who kind of gets overlooked a little bit, but I mean, hey, this guy was, you know, voted as a starter to the All-Star game, was averaging 25, 12, 5, um, was playing great with Anthony Davis. You know, the results wasn't uh, entirely translated to wins, but, you know, they made the playoffs in part because of him. Uh, but he is coming off an Achilles tear. Uh, the history of big men coming off Achilles tears are not great. And, you know, as such, the Pelicans are apparently reportedly only offering him a three-year deal worth $75 million. Cousins is not too thrilled about it. Um, but if you're Cousins and you're your Cousins' agent, there's not a lot of places you can go. Yeah, I'd say the only teams that would offer him, and I don't even know if any would, but if any would offer more than three seventy-five, it's probably going to be like a bad team that, you know, not that they're not interested in winning, but... They're not close to winning right now, and it's just kind of like a safe face. Well, we brought in a star, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Sell some tickets and that kind of thing. But good teams that are like on the cusp of winning, which is probably what Boogie wants, are not going to offer more than three years, $75 million for a big guy with some, you know, not behavior issues. That's never been the issue with Boogie, but like uh, locker room issues, like yeah. straight up locker room issues. Mm-hmm. Um you can leadership issues, right? Leadership issues. Like you can argue whether it's always been his fault, but at some point you have to acknowledge that he's got to at least be part of the problem for this to follow him. Um, We've seen what a bad team with Boogie at the forefront looks like. Exactly. Right? So yeah. Um, but even like a good like good teams aren't going to want to splurge on Boogie when there's probably better alternatives out there. So like if if you're Boogie, I think you just have to take what. New Orleans is offering. And even yeah. for New Orleans, like we've talked about this before, yeah. their best situation might be losing Boogie. Like they might be a better team without him. It's just that they've been so historically poor when it comes to asset management and they're not a destination market. So like, even though they might be better without him, they just can't afford to let a talent like him walk for nothing. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like an imperfect marriage, but they might just have to settle for each other. Or they might just have to sign and trade him for LeBron. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> That's... Hey, that would be crazy if LeBron decides to take his talents to New Orleans of all places. Not that New Orleans is not a great place to be, but sort of a great place to visit. Um, maybe a dark horse candidate for him, though, if if Cantor does indeed opt out, which there are mm. rumors that that's what he plans to do for whatever reason, um, they might be able to carve out enough cap space to throw a pretty decent uh, offer Boogie's way. And the I feel Knicks? like he's the kind of player that they might want to go after, you know? That would be oh my so nice. Sacramento, Sacramento cap East. Space on Boogie Cousins coming off an Achilles tear while they're waiting for Porzingis to heal up. <laughs> like, honestly, that does make sense from the Knicks just being the Knicks. Like, yeah. James Dolan's Knicks will always be James Dolan's Knicks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but my God, that would be awful. Um, yeah, the, the tricky thing with Cousins is that, like, if you look at which teams have cap room, which is not a lot of teams, um, a lot of those teams were lottery teams that dra- just drafted a big man because this draft was so heavy on bigs. So if you look at like the Bulls, for example, they drafted Wendell Carter, so they probably want to develop him. The Kings, he wasn't going to re-sign with the Kings anyway, but um, you know they drafted uh, Marvin Bagley. Um, the Suns could have been a candidate, but they took Aiden. So, like, there's a lot of places where it sort of suddenly closed up um, yeah. the market for him. The only place that might be a possible candidate um, is Dallas. Dallas. But, again, it seems like Dallas wants to 
find players that uh, fit with their timeline, uh, of Luke Doncic's timeline. They want to go younger guys. And, you know, we'll talk about this guy later on, but Clint Capella makes a lot more sense there than someone like like, like Boogie. Yeah. So Dal- I love how Dallas has just been in the market for a big since they got rid of Tyson Chandler. Like no, perpetually. Literally every single year the, mar- the Mavs are in the market for a big. They almost yeah. got DeAndre. Well, it seemed like Nerlens was going to be that guy when they acquired him, right? And that situation <laughs> went sour so quickly. Um, so, yeah, I think they're definitely a team to watch in the boogie sweepstakes um, or whatever you want to call it. Um, I just – so much I feel like is going to depend on, like, him, like his physical. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our team's going to get a look at him. You know, what's he going to look like coming off that Achilles tear? The, the history – of guys coming off that injury is not pretty. Nope. And I think especially for a big man who already had some conditioning issues, uh, it could be pretty scary. So, um, you know, th- there's got to be some certainty there that he's going to be able to play at like at least 90% of the level that he was at before he got injured, before yeah. anybody makes a big offer. Yeah, he should take like a one plus one, um, which is kind of a little bit counterintuitive for a guy coming off a big injury. But if there are no long-term contracts out there and the three-year deal is the most he can get, you know, like, I mean, I don't know. If he could take that three-year deal, it's not so bad. But, I mean, a one-plus-one could um, allow him to recover, uh, reestablish his value, and then go back into free agency at a year where there's more teams with available cap room. And maybe that's how he can get a deal. But it really does have to come down to how confident he is in his body after uh, a significant injury. Um, moving on, we are going. there's also a lot of uh, trade candidates out there that could really be affecting um, sort of the, the free agent market as well. The guy that we've talked about repeatedly in this podcast is Kawhi Leonard. Um, most recent reports say that Kawhi Leonard, um, if the Spurs trade him, which is their second option, the first option is still reconciliation. Um, but if they trade him, they want to trade him to an Eastern Conference um, team. And so if you look at the East, um, what are – I don't know. What are the most viable destinations for for Kawhi in terms of which teams could have the assets to land him? It's obviously Philly and Boston. I don't think anyone else is really close. I'm just kind of surprised. Like, I don't know if this is maybe some posturing and leveraging from the Spurs' perspective to try to get maybe pry a little more from the Lakers or another West team that wants him. But, like, it just when you think of how prudent the Spurs have been for decades now, this doesn't add up to me. Um, that they, like, you know, they could send them to Philly or Boston simply because those are the best packages. And I think that makes sense. And I honestly think that's how the Spurs are looking at this. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, I just don't see RC Buford and company like turning down a superior package that makes them better long-term just because they're going to play that yeah. team one or like, that's just not how the Spurs operate. So I think this is more about knowing the Sixers and Celtics have the best packages anyway, and just kind of framing it like that. So yeah, it's one of those two teams for sure, but I still don't, I still don't see how either of those teams like gives up this treasure trove of assets when Kawhi Leonard is reportedly ready to tell teams he's just going to leave them in a year anyway. Yeah, it's really it's a tough situation for the Spurs to be in, and I feel like them being sort of stubborn about this and waiting it out is maybe just a, a kind of desperate stab to start a bidding war. And you know they probably hope the longer that they sit on him, uh, the better the offers for him are going to get. And it's it's hard to know which is the first domino that's going to fall, right? Like, is the Kawhi trade the first domino, or is LeBron the first domino? And then, um, you know, the, the market sort of takes shape from there. Because, like, if if you're one of those teams that whiffs 
you know, that wants to land LeBron and you whiff on him, mm-hmm. um, or that wants to land another prize free agent and you whiff on him, then maybe suddenly you're a little bit more inclined to put a, a better package together to get Kawhi. And, you know, I don't think the Spurs are wrong for waiting it out. You know, I don't think they should just jump on the first offer that comes their way. But at the same time, yeah, like Kawhi's out there torpedoing his own trade value by by leaking stuff like I'm going to tell any team that tries to trade for me that I'm just going to go and sign with the Lakers anyway. Um, so, yeah, the, the Spurs are in a tight spot. And, I mean, maybe maybe Boston is the kind of team that believes enough in its culture that, mm-hmm. that they think – uh, a year with Kawhi would be enough to sell him on on staying there long term, but they are also historically pretty married to their assets. So I don't know, you know, how how deep into the trove they're willing to go in order to put a package together. But um, like Cash said, like them and the Sixers, those are the teams that have the goods to to actually put a legitimate package uh, together. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to pony up or not. I'm really, really curious to see how it shapes out. Yeah, I think I agree with Cash. I think it's a bit of gamesmanship here from the Spurs um, just to, you know, it helps them when some of these reports are leaked. Like, that's when you got to always think about when sort of things get leaked to the press. Um, it it's You got to think about it in terms of who does it help. Uh, and in this case, I think it really does help the Spurs um, get better packages because not only does it challenge the Spurs are the uh, sorry the Sixers and the Celtics to up their packages, um, but also it, it it probably gives them a little bit more leverage against the Lakers. Um, I just I don't know. I think if the Lakers should have the most incentive to get him because he's most willing to resign with the Lakers, and so um, the Lakers have these assets they want to trade right now. Um, you know, I don't really envision them wanting to hold on to Lonzo if LeBron comes, and it seems pretty likely that LeBron comes. And so, like, this is their time to trade Lonzo right now. Uh, and same thing goes for Ingram. Like, chances are pretty solid that his value goes down a little bit after playing with LeBron because he's not going to be able to show as much of the playmaking abilities as a wing. I'm not have as much of the ball. So, like, I wonder if, like, a third team gets involved there, too. Sure. Because the word is the Spurs have no interest in Lonzo. Um, and they mm. seem pretty married to DeJounte Murray as, as like their point guard of the future. So sure. I wonder if maybe... Lonzo Ball without the, without the baggage. Yeah, that's right. It's not bad. But I wonder if, if like a third team gets involved there, then maybe that helps the Spurs. Like, cause Lonzo can go to a third team and the Spurs can get another asset, um, from whoever that third team happens to be. Maybe mm. that helps grease the wheels a little bit. Um, another prime trade candidate is, uh, Kemp Walker, who's entering the last year of his contract. He's going to make $12 million next year in the hit free agency in 2019, um, the Hornets have said publicly that they want to build and move forward with Kemba, but I mean, you just look at sort of the Hornets' lack of success recently, and it's not looking really likely that um, you know the Hornets want to stay on this treadmill. But I mean, yeah, MJ has been really competitive in the past, and not necessarily the most rational uh, when it comes to team building. And so, you know, there's a chance he stays, but also there's a chance that that's just being said for leverage um, and that he might get traded to the Cavaliers. And recent reports from Ken Berger suggest that the uh, Cavs tried to trade for Kemba during the draft. They didn't get it done. Obviously, they were dangling a number eight pick that they used on Colin Sexton, but they could, they're still going for Kemba. And if they really believe LeBron's coming back, then you got to believe every piece is on the table to be moved. Um, and so... You know, Kemba could be in Cleveland. Kemba, Kevin Love, LeBron. What a weird super team. It's definitely a step down from when Kyrie was there. But, uh, Cash, I mean, 
Do you think that's enough to entice LeBron to stay? And do you think the Cavs should try to mortgage their future a little bit for a one-year rental? Um, if they truly believe they have, if they truly believe that they're like one piece away, and if Kemba's that level of piece that LeBron would stay, then yeah, I think you have to because it's LeBron James that you're trying to appease. But from Kemba's perspective, a Kemba Walker is one of the most valuable salaries in the league, like contracts in the league right now. You mentioned he's gonna be making twelve million dollars this year. That is insane surplus value for the kind of production he gives you. He had a great year. Kemba's coming. Kemba, man, he's awesome. But the Hornets, like you mentioned, they might not want to stay on the treadmill. If you look at the history of that franchise since they moved back to Charlotte, like um, they're the definition of treadmill. Michael Jordan's Hornets are very inclined to just stay on that treadmill. Like that's all they do. And when they should completely jump off it, they think that they're close enough to like, mm. you know, add a mediocre piece here and overpay a mediocre piece here, and then they'll get like they'll jump off that treadmill into the next level of contention and they're nowhere close to that. This team needs like a full teardown and rebuild um, and they got to start like taking steps towards that. So I think it would benefit both parties if they do trade Kemba as part of like a tear it down move. The problem is that, you know, who's giving up? Like no one's selling the farm for Kemba Walker. He's a really good player and he's nice, but he also salaries and huge. So you don't mm. have to give that much up to get him. There's a lot of reasons why the Hornets probably don't get that great of a package for him, even though he is great. I just hope he ends up in a good situation because the dude deserves it. Yeah, he And does. the Hornets as a franchise have been pretty trash. Not just as like a team and the way they perform, but just the way they've operated as a franchise. Their their asset management, everything has been trash. Kemba deserves a better, a better fate. So whether it's a trade or a year from now signing a big deal in a better situation, I just hope that guy gets out, man. I, yeah, going back to the Cavs, like, they just, I don't have the pieces yeah. to make a trade like that, I don't think. Um, I mean, I would have to assume if they did, that Kevin Love would be part of that trade anyway. So, at that point, are, are you really gaining that much surplus value if, you, if you're sending out Kevin Love and, like, Colin Sexton for Kemba? Like, and then if LeBron leaves, what do you have? Like, well, I don't know if he did them. I think if they just give up Sexton, I think that's probably enough. Really? But then why wasn't it enough on draft night? So right. What was weird on yeah, draft night was, like, know. the Hornets drafted Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and at that point, you know, before they traded him a minute later, it seemed like, oh, okay, they're kind of expecting that Kemba's going to be gone, and this guy is going to be their point guard of the future, and then they flipped him uh, for a forward. So, like, like, they don't really have a contingency in place for when Kemba leaves or for when they trade him. Um, so, I don't really know what the plan is there, uh, but I do know that there are way more teams out there uh, that would probably want Kemba that can put together a better trade offer than the okay. Cavs could. That's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Cash, going back to your point about Kemba, um, I just looked it up. In his uh, rookie season, he played on that infamous seven-win. Seven-win yeah. Bobcats team set for the whole year. They prepared. They trained all year. They went to training camp. Seven wins. All right. That was the year that they, they were like, Everyone was tanking for Anthony Davis, too, and they ended up with MKG. Like, come on. <laughs> Who man. they then paid a huge contract to. Oh, man. Um, yeah, what a roster, man. They, what, made the playoffs two times, three times in Kemba's career? Twice. And they lost both times to LeBron. One time, or no, both times to Dwayne Wade. Uh, one time it was, you know, the the Heatles, so they got swept. It's not a big deal. The other time they lost to the purple shirt guy. And Dwayne Wade going... It was a seven-game epic, though. That was serious, right? It was. It was yeah. actually a great series. It was a great series. Yeah. But yeah Dwayne Wade turned into a, a three-point shooter for yeah. just one series. Kemba Walker has never played a second-round game. That's kind of a crime. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Paul of the East. 
No, I'm kidding. Chris Paul of the East is Kyle Lowry, who um, could also be on the trading block, um, him and DeMar DeRozan. Um, it's it's not really a clear-cut situation because I think the Raptors are okay with keeping it together. I mean, look, when you win 59 games, you're okay with keeping the core together. However, it's a situation where if a team swoops in and offers us a good deal, they're kind of open to changing it up because, I mean, let's face it, the Raptors have kind of hit a hard ceiling with their team. They already have this young youth movement, uh, you know, building uh, right behind these two guys. And if they can get some value for them and the right value for them, you know, these guys could move. Uh, And, you know, it's reports out of Toronto suggest that the team is open for a trade. Look, I I think that's just Masai Ujiri. I think he's the type of general manager that's always open, as he should be. All GMs should be like that. You know, if, if a move comes along that unexpectedly make, you believe makes your team better, everyone should be on the block. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I that's about as far into it as I would read. Um, I think the fact that they promoted Nick Nurse like internally, mm-hmm. um, to me, suggests that Masai Ujiri doesn't believe they've hit a hard ceiling. That he does believe that there is something more in this core that he believes someone like a Nick Nurse can get squeezed out of them. Whether that's more wins in the regular season, maybe not, but that there is something more for this team to achieve in the playoffs. I think that's the only reason he would have promoted Nick Nurse. And so I don't believe, unless there's like some absolute no-brainer package comes along that he can't turn down for one of these guys, and I don't think anyone's giving that up for one of Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, I just don't think Masai Ujiri is going to pivot away from a 59-win team that he went into the postseason believing was like right there to make the finals. I just don't think, he's he's not getting away from that because of like a solid package for one of his all-stars. I think he's smart enough to know like you don't you teams build and plan and tank and do this to build the type of team that the Raptors are. For real. But don't you think Raptors fans are at this point now where it's like not that they're spoiled because Raptors fans have sort of historically watched a lot of really awful teams um you know where the purple and white I guess. Um but no seriously though like the Raptors fan base like they've seen this you can only sell this team to the fan base so many times in so many different ways. And I don't think anyone was that excited when Nick Nurse got hired. And I think to your point about Nick Nurse, I mean, he was only signed to a three-year deal. Uh, and coaches usually don't coach, you know, with no guarantee for their contract going forward. So it's really like a two-year deal. And that two-year deal kind of fits with their three-year window. And right now they're through one year of it that was pretty successful until the playoffs. And then, you know, if you look at it, Nick Nurse could just be here to ride out that three-year window and then – the Raptors might start completely fresh. The problem with trading one of those two guys is that they don't have nearly as much value to any other team as they do to the Raptors right now. Okay. So I don't see any universe in which there is like a, a package coming back to Toronto in a deal for one of those guys that makes sense. You know, like they're not going to hit a home run with a trade for one of those guys because they're on big contracts. Um, and the teams that have cap space, whether it's because they are rebuilding teams that are planning for the future or because, you know, they're teams that are looking to sign like a, an absolute A-plus free agent, aren't going to want to use that space to absorb the salary of like a Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan. As good as those guys are, uh, they're pretty clearly tier two stars. And um, I, I just think like they're so important to the Raptors and what they do and what they've done over the past few years that um, they just they just make too much sense in Toronto um, compared to you know what they would look like in a different situation like um, DeRozan in particular I think like 
the Raptors have sort of built their their offense, their culture. Like they built a lot around him. He was um, the first sort of star to really commit to that franchise. Um, he didn't take any meetings with any other teams when he became a free agent two years ago. Um, he's very deeply embedded, I think, in Raptors basketball, mm-hmm. and he is their culture. He is, and like you know, for, for better good or for or, worse, for, for good or ill, like. Yeah. But um, you can't just you can't just trade him for the sake of trading him, and I think that is what the Raptors would be doing. Like, I, I just don't think that they're going to get an offer that actually makes them better in the, certainly not in the short term, um, but potentially even in the long term, right? Because I just don't think any team is giving up like viable long-term assets to get DeRozan for the next two years. Uh, and same goes for Lowry, right? Um, so I, I think the most likely outcome is both of them staying put. Uh, the Raptors continuing to be a good team that probably hits the same sort of stumbling blocks in the playoffs. And yeah, that becomes a tough sell to the fan base, but like what the fan base wants isn't always what's best for the team. And if the fans were running the team, maybe they would trade those guys and try and make some big splash in free agency that gets everybody excited. But a lot of the to- a lot of the time, those moves can blow up in your face. And a lot of the time, staying the course is really uh, the right move, even if it's unsexy and unexciting. Yeah, and I think, too, what a lot of people forget, and like, Will, you mentioned it being a hard sell to the fan base, and a lot of people have made that that comment because it's like how do you get up for 82 regular season games knowing how it ends but the thing is I feel like that is the case when you're in like a market where you're not selling tickets or mm-hmm. people aren't watching you know what I mean yeah so Toronto like, they're gonna move tickets for they're sure. they're gonna sell out every game as they have the last two or three years yeah. there's a waiting list for season tickets um it's a t- metropolitan city <laughs> right like a lot TV, of people with a lot of money here exactly and tv numbers are strong so as much as it seems like a hard sell to the fans to just bring the team back. The team is not hurting in any respect when it comes to selling tickets or moving merchants or whatever it is. So they're doing too well off the court and they're too good on the court to just kind of throw it away because of apathy. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, we're going to take a quick break right here. Um, we're going to come back and talk about some of the top restricted free agent targets. Welcome back to Pound the Rock. A friendly reminder to please uh, support the show by rating, review, and subscribing. Um, We're seeing good growth, and we would like to see that continue. So, uh, in our second segment, we're going to talk about the um, best available restrictive free agents. Obviously, it's a little bit tough in restrictive free agency because you make an offer, you know, ties up your cap room for a while, and you may or may not even get the guy. So, um, restricted is usually a little bit more dampened than unrestricted, but, uh, let's start with the sexiest name out there. Clint Capella, um, coming off a great career year with the Rockets, um, and, you know, a vital piece of that, uh, 65 win core. Um, you know, he should be a guy that gets a big contract, but I'm not quite sure if he gets it because, uh, if you are Capella, you look at the, the, the current cap environment, it's not very, um, inviting at the moment a lot of the uh, trashier teams like i said earlier got a big man recently so they probably don't want to bring him in immediately but um he should be a guy based on his talents that that gets a huge offer i just don't know who it comes from yeah look i think Capella's perfect for the rockets and i think they're perfect for him and i think in the end he stays there i just don't see unless it's like you know as part of clearing room to sign and trade someone like a lebron or like that type of st- and, and honestly maybe just lebron I don't see any way Daryl Morey lets um, Capella get away. I think he's just so perfect for them. And they're, you know, as like a rim running center who can switch on the perimeter defensively. 
they don't make them like Clint Capella. Yeah, and I think Dallas is one of those teams that might try and uh, and and poach him with a predatory offer. Um, we've talked about you know how badly they want to get a foundational big man. They've been trying for so so long, and uh, he fits the description of the guys that they've always been interested in, right? DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard, way back when, Merlins. like a rim running center uh, who can catch lobs and protect the rim. Um, and is, you know, is going to be a good fit next to Dirk Nowitzki. Um, and, you know, is young enough that he fits their timeline now with, with Luka Doncic coming in. So, um, you know, depending on, on how Dallas views its priorities, whether Boogie's at the top of the list, um, but Capella might be at the top of that list. You know, they might be preparing to, uh, to sign him to a big offer sheet and put the Rockets in a pretty uncomfortable position where, uh, you know, they have to decide whether to match, but, I'm with Cash. Like I think he is too important to what Houston does to uh, to just let him walk. As much as I think you can find probably like seventy percent of that production with a cheap big that you might be able to get off the scrap heap, like uh, I think that extra thirty percent is really really important for Houston, considering how close they are um, to being a championship team. You know how close they came this past year mm-hmm. to winning a title, like. You know, it's not it's not enough to go and get seventy percent of that production. Like they need a hundred percent of it. So I think they would go above and beyond to uh, to match any offer sheet and make sure they bring them back. Yeah, um, the one thing that really helps Houston is that um, Capella's cap hole is only seven million dollars, or his uh, his um, uh, the qualifying offer basically to to keep his rights and like you know that's pretty affordable. It's even if they want to chase another fridge, and on top of that. Um, if someone like Trevor Reza moves on and, and you know, their, their, their books are a little bit different, Capella is still going to be reasonably cheap to sort of just hold on to while they chase that other guy. And, um, you know, yeah, he, he's really important to that team. But honestly, if I'm, if I'm Dallas, like, I'm really going to try to make a hard push for Capella because I've already built around these two guards in Dennis Smith Jr. and Luka Doncic, and they're both, um, you know, pick and roll uh, type of scorers. And nothing really helps them more than a guy who can be a huge vertical dive threat in Capella, who's probably one of the best role men in the league. Obviously it helped that he played um, in a system like Houston where there was so much spacing around him, but you know, he can create a lot more space and he can generate space for his guards. Um, And if I'm, you know, if I'm Dallas, I want to make these guards available and comfortable and effective immediately. Right. So I I would try to make a push um, if if I was Houston or, or sorry, if I was Dallas, um, another target potentially for the Mavericks is Julius Randle. Um, you know, he's, he's also coming off a career year with the Lakers. I'm not quite sure if the Lakers want to keep him, especially since he has a $12 million cap hold and the Lakers have other free um, ambitions. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it, that's another guy that could fit on a, a lot of other teams. He's developed as a defender. He's scoring better, had a really efficient year, rebounding a lot better, you know, dramatically changed his body he's a he's a guy that i think a lot of teams would want to have yeah and he also seems to be for whatever reason kind of like the least popular internally with the lakers right when you hear about yeah like ingram unless it's for a star you don't usually hear about him being traded whereas randall seems to always be on the block and out of out of all their young guys even kuzma included i think they've really grown to love him randall always seems like the one that's kind of the odd man out he's so, never hanging with them and during instagram videos and stuff <laughs> there you not go. that that's important the real but. intel um, I think in. the reason for that is more just that like he is good enough and valuable enough now to like be a good trade chip, but yeah. doesn't have enough upside to uh, 
force the Lakers to kind of hold on to him too tight. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, and um, I, I think that's why he ends up gone, right? Is because yeah. whether it's an RFA, whether it's part of a trade, I just think he probably wants a different situation, and and the Lakers seem to to value him as an asset more than as a piece going forward. Yeah. He's another guy who I think the Knicks could maybe uh, make a play for, and you'd hope that they wouldn't overpay to get him, but I feel like he actually could be a pretty good fit next to Porzingis because he runs the floor really, really well. Um, He can handle the ball. He's actually a pretty good passer, and um, his defense still has a ways to go, but I just feel like as a frontcourt pairing, like that might actually be able to work. Um, So... That's one that I would keep my eye on. Uh, Dallas, of course, always going to be in the mix for any available big man. Um, and uh, maybe the Jazz, like if they if they renounce Derek Favors and can't land a Paul George or another um, sort of blue chip free agent, uh, they might look in that direction because they'll have a hole to fill in the front court. Mm-hmm. And again, they might run into some of the same problems that they had with like the Favors and Gobert pairing, not having enough spacing offensively. Uh, but... Um, Their front court is just thin overall, though, right? Yeah. Like it's not sometimes not about ideal fit. It's sort of just about who do you have. And right. if you have a playoff, if you have playoff ambitions, you know you don't want to just roll up in there with just one big. Like that's that's uh it's not, it's not great. Um, another tricky RFA fit uh, for a lot of teams is Marcus Smart. Um, the Celtics definitely are interested in retaining him. They want to, you know, the reports have been consistent that they tried to negotiate with him last summer, they couldn't get a deal done. Um, but even after this season ended, um, especially since Smart played really well in the playoffs, um, that, you know, look, they want to keep Smart. He's kind of uh, the quintessential Celtic in terms of the way he plays basketball and the, the type of grit and hustle that he that he shows. But, you know, they also realistically don't think that Smart can really get a big deal. I, I don't think they're wrong about that. Like, this is not a great time to be a point guard that can't shoot as much as he does everything else well. Yeah, I, I just don't – I think this is the classic case of he's probably more valuable to the Celtics than he is anywhere else. And he might even just be like a good system guy with the Celtics too. And yeah, yeah, like in 2018, if you're a point guard who can't shoot, yeah, you've got all the other intangibles and you're a great defender and you know you put your body on the line and all that and your teammates love him. But like there's too much talent in the league for someone to overpay for just those intangibles, especially at the point guard position. So I just don't see him getting anywhere near what he wants outside of Boston. Mm-hmm. I also think for the Celtics, like, I think they can feel comfortable enough in their situation right now, having Kyrie, um, having Rozier as well, like, they probably have a walkaway number that they're, you know, willing to draw a hard line at, and, like, they're not going to strap themselves to a bad contract. Uh, I just think that they're too sort of, uh, I don't want to say frugal, but, like, they're they're smart enough that, like, they're not going to tether themselves to a deal. Um, for a guy who they don't necessarily see as like a major contributor uh, long term, but um, you know it, it's going to depend on what Marcus Smart can find on the open market. I don't know that he's going to like what he sees. And for the Celtics, I think their hope probably is to be able to bring him back at like a tradable figure and mm. and use him as part of a package down the road. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, look, the Celtics don't have a lot of mid range salaries right now. They have a lot of rookie scale salaries, uh, which are usually under ten mil. Um, and then they have a lot of big salaries, uh, max basically contract salaries and 20 plus. And so if you want to make a trade in the middle there, they don't have a lot of pieces. Um, and, you know, Smart could be a guy that they can eventually move down the line. That's a good point. Uh, another guy, Jabari Parker, really tricky fit because I think this is, a, you know, in contrast to sort of what we said about Smart, about he has more value to the Celtics than anywhere else. Jabari Parker has less value to the Bucks than he has anywhere else. And it, it, 
you know, it was pretty, it was made pretty clear that, you know, he was coming off the bench. Um, he wasn't really a, a huge factor for them, even after coming back from two ACL injuries. And um, I don't know if, if I'm Parker, I'm trying to find a new situation where I have more of a say in terms of how I can be used in the offense. Cause he's clearly very talented. He's a guy that's averaged 20 points in the league before. Um, and he's still fairly young. And if, if he proves that he can actually stay healthy, which, you know, so far it's a bit of a question mark. Um, that could be a really nice uh, buy low situation for a lot of teams. Yeah, I think um, I think Jabari is obviously talented. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a guy who's like two ACL tears, and as young as he is, I just feel like it sounds like it'd be a very tough pill to swallow. But I think he's one of these guys that will have to kind of realize probably soon that. Um, he's not going to be the NBA player he thought he was or that everyone thought he was going to be at one point. And that probably will still take a while for him to realize. And it might take him having to go to a bad team and being a little higher on the pecking order and still not getting it done. But I think at this point, if you're Jabari, you just got to, yeah, you want to find a situation where you can kind of take on more of a role than, than you'll have in Milwaukee. But I also think just with his injury history already and you know who knows how many contracts he's going to get, like this is a guy where you completely understand him just taking the biggest deal he can get. Yeah, I I just don't know how big that deal is going to be, right? Uh, like even even a, a team that's not good um, and that is ostensibly rebuilding um, and and looking a few years down the road, like is is Jabari Parker the guy that you're going to want to throw a big offer at? But man, how much how much in? money is he going to cost, right? Because that's if it, if know. it gets to a point where he's available for, you know. A little bit over the mid level, ten million dollars a year, and you can get him for three years like that, and you can get his bird rights afterwards. That's not bad, especially no, yeah, since sure. he was number two, um, former number two pick. He scored really efficient. Well, not really efficiently, but I mean, look, he's a stretch four. He's got the tools to attack off the dribble. He can shoot the three, uh, you know, decently well. And let's let's say your team like Phoenix, right? Like he kind of fits your timeline a little bit. It, it I mean, they have T.J. Warren, who kind of does a lot of what he does. So it's um. It's not quite ideal fit there, but another situation could present. But what about Chicago? He can go home. That's not bad. The Bulls also have like a sneaky amount of cap space this summer. Yeah. Like in any other year, like Chicago with cap space scares the hell out of the league. And it's just, they're just mm. toiling away in mediocrity. <laughs> yeah. Mediocrity is a compliment to what they are right now. And they're just not a factor at all, which is crazy. Yeah. It's Chicago with a ton of cap space and yeah. no one's talking about them. Well, the one thing I would say about that is those teams like Chicago, um, and Brooklyn and Atlanta, like these bad teams that aren't really trying to be good in the short term mm-hmm. that have cap space, I feel like what they would prefer to use that on is to like absorb a bad contract and extract a draft pick out of the deal. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I think especially in this cap market right now, like it's pretty good time to be one of those teams that has cap space and doesn't necessarily need to use it on a free agent. But um, that, that could also work against them, right? Like if you look at the Nets, they, they took on two years of Damari Carroll for basically one first-round draft pick. And that first-round draft pick turned out to be, like, the number 29th pick who they use on this Bosnian dude who's not going to come over immediately. Like, so that's $32 million you just paid to get the rights to the 29th pick that you used on a stash, a draft and stash. I mean, they got a pick out of it, though, right? Like, that's what they needed. They haven't had draft picks, and that's why yeah. they're in the situation they're in right now. And also, Damari Carroll rebuilt a lot of his value last year. But no one's trading for Demar Carroll. Still. Probably not, but so then what what like but, what what's the downside? Like you have to reach the salary I'm just saying like anyway. you, you could like, use that money instead on signing a guy like Jabari or right. one of the other free agents on this yeah. list, right? And also just like the packs and foreman bulls have never really done things the right way. So it's even <laughs> though true. no, even though it makes sense 
for them to be like prudent and practical and not just chase free agents when they're clearly nowhere near ready to win. It, it's like out of character for them to actually be thinking that prudently, right. which is why I'm surprised that the Bulls with all this cap space and with that management structure still in place mm-hmm. aren't being rumored to at least be, whether free agents are actually interested in them or not is another thing, but they're not even being like rumored to be chasing these guys. Right. I'm just saying, like, Jabari seems to me like the kind of guy where if the Spurs sign him, people are going to be like, oh, man, how did the Spurs get him? He's going to get rehabbed to full health. He's going to be used in the right way, and he's going to be, you know, this prime piece. Whereas if he goes to another crappy team, then he's just going to be like, oh, wow, why did they do that? What do you think of his fit with Indiana? He fits. He fits. I mean, especially if Thaddeus Young decides to opt out. Like, they have a pretty big hole there um, in the front court, and they need a guy to stretch the floor for guys like Turner and Sabonis. Yeah. That's a nice fit. Yeah. They're sneakily like one of the teams I'm most interested in this offseason because they have these like three $10 million salaries on their books that are all non-guarantees. Right. And uh, it's Al Jefferson, Bojan Bogdanovic, and Darren Collison. Mm -hmm. So they could easily create max cap space if they thought they had a chance uh, to land a max free agent. And Paul George, baby, come home. That used to play for them. That's right. But even without getting there, like they they, they could. you know, they could exercise a non-guarantee on just one of those guys sure. and and get themselves into the conversation for, like, a mid-level free agent. And, you know, Jabari's a guy who I feel like could fit there pretty well. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, Al Jefferson, I think, is the guy who they will almost certainly buy out. Yeah, um, sure. But the, the other two guys are maybe too important to uh, to that team to, to just let them go. Um, Especially Collison on, on this free agent point guard. Yeah. Like, we were talking right before the podcast about just how bad it is. Aside from Chris Paul, it's like, you want Isaiah Thomas? You want Fred Van Vliet? You want Alfred Payton? Like, you know, it's it's uh, it's, it's it's not a lot out there. Um, another interesting guard, though, in the last of the restricted free agents that we'll talk about, um, Zach Levine. The Bulls um, are souring on him a little bit, uh, according to the latest reports. It's weird because the Bulls are kind of souring on everybody except for Markkinen that they got back from the Butler trade. Like, they also weren't happy with how Chris Dunn's work habits were and stuff, which is um, kind of concerning considering that was one of the main pieces. But Zach Levine was, you know, um, coming off ACL injury. He wasn't quite the same, although the Bulls played so many meaningless games that I'm not quite sure what to read into that. But, um, yeah, I mean, you would figure the Bulls want to re-sign Levine because he is an exciting player, but... Who knows? Maybe he leaves as well. And, and that's another former 20-point-per-game guy that, you know, has a lot of uh, marketability. And if he's healthy, that's not bad as a shooting guard. Yeah, I think I think a lot of what Zach Levine's done so far in his career is a little bit of empty numbers. Like, I don't know how much what he's done would contribute um, to winning basketball. But I also think that, you know, you mentioned it, that he's marketable. Um, as a, like, dunk contest champion who is still young enough and, you know, has shown flashes of having a jumper. Like... They're, oh, he could shoot. Exactly. He, he could legitimately shoot. shoot. So I think there's at least one team out there that's willing to throw a lot of money at Zach Levine because worst case, you end up with this like marketable star that people want to come see. But I just don't know. I don't know how much like good, um, well-run organizations are, are going to be the ones to throw that money at him. Mean, he doesn't seem like that kind of guy. I don't expect there to be much of a market for him, to be honest. Um, like... Uh, he, the, the Wolves soured on him. The Bulls are now souring on him. Like, I feel like there's a sense around the league that he just, like, is a little bit too one-dimensional. And that's not to say teams wouldn't want to try and get him if they could get him on the cheap. But, like, I don't expect him to get any kind of sizable offer. Um, 
you know, despite the fact that he can be a really exciting player, I just don't think he's well-rounded enough. Um, he hasn't shown much development at the defensive end. His playmaking is still, um, you know, not where it needs to be. And he's still young, and he, he brings an important skill with his three-point shooting. But um, I don't think teams are going to be lining up to sign this guy. That's true. Um, okay, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we will look ahead to the um, NBA award show, which is going to be tonight. Welcome back. Um, we're going to end the show with uh, Make or Miss. And tonight, the NBA will hand out its awards. Um, personally, I'm not a fan of having to wait two months to see who won the awards because almost at this point, I, I don't quite care about the award winners anymore. The, the whole season is completely in the past, and I'm looking ahead to free agency. But, um, yeah, they're going to hand out the awards tonight. So let's uh, let's preview the major ones um, through Make or Miss. Uh, so the first one, Make or Miss, James Harden is the obvious choice for MVP cash. Make. I think LeBron had a good run at you know the end. Anthony Davis had some impressive numbers, obviously, in a great year, but James Harden is the MVP. Yeah, agree. Make. Wow. I think LeBron really has a case, man. Because LeBron was taking those game winners and those the crazy dunk on Nurkic. I mean, LeBron made more moments than Harden, but yeah. I mean, LeBron six- also had like extended stretches where he just wasn't really like playing nearly up to his potential. Um, that's not fair for LeBron, though. That's it's not, not fair, fair, but look, it's a regular season award. Um, he posted I, I his career highs and assists and rebounds. He did, but his defense all year long was substandard. Yeah. Um, oh, but James Harden was playing great defense. Better than LeBron, honestly. Yeah, that's true. That's really sad. That's really sad. I mean, look, this guy led the Rockets to the best record in the NBA. Yeah. Um, doing it, you know, like basically orchestrating a historically good offense. And... Um, I don't know. I just think it's his time. Yeah, I agree. Um, also, yeah, the Rockets Rockets fans will burn down the NBA headquarters if James Harden is still denied of his MVP. All right, next one. Uh, make or miss, Ben Simmons narrowly edges out Donovan Mitchell for Rookie of the Year. Make. I think that's exactly how it's going to go. I think Mitchell will get close, but I think Simmons wins in a close race. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I agree as well. But I also think if this award was handed out after the playoffs, it would be very different. It would be very Jason different. Tatum? No, I think it would be Mitchell. Oh. Yeah. But just Tatum as well. I think it actually would be reversed. Like, I think Simmons would end up last. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, next one, make or miss, Rudy Gobert should win Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, it's a make for me. Um, just, I know he missed a lot of time. Uh, I think he missed 25 games in the end. Um, but the impact that he made in, in those 57 games that he played was just so far above and beyond, you know, what anybody else did at the defensive end. Um even even guys who played 82 games, um, like the Jazz had by far the best defensive rating in the league uh, when Gobert played. And, um, you know, just the, the impact that he's able to have, like you um, can build like an elite defense around him and him alone, basically, because he's that much of a deterrent at the rim. Um, and his ability to kind of guard two players at once in the pick and roll is just like so, so valuable. Um, so, yeah, he's easily the pick for me. Yeah, I think Embiid, made it a bit of a race and and I think Anthony Davis doesn't get enough credit for his candidacy this year as the defensive player of the year mm-hmm. but I think Rudy Gobert was the best defensive player the team went 29 and 6 with him in the lineup down the stretch yeah and also like defensive player of the year has historically not been an award based too much on how many games played like Joakim Noah won it when he played like 60 games and stuff so I I, I, I agree I think it should be Gobert um next one make or miss Eric Gorin's wins uh, matter more than Lou Williams is scoring in the six-man race. 
I'm going to say it's a miss. I, I get what you're saying there, but I just think, I think Lou Williams was the best reserve in the league this year. And I don't, you know, whether his team ended up winning 28 games or 68, I just think he was the yeah. best reserve in the league this year. Yeah. And if you switched him and Gordon, I don't think that the Rockets are any less successful than they were this season. So it's kind of unfair to put that on Lou Williams. Uh, the fact that he, like, he averaged 23, 20, 23 points <laughs> a game off the bench. That's nuts. And he did it on pretty solid efficiency as well. Um, I think it's got to be him. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the only argument for Gordon really is that, like, you know, he wasn't bad scoring himself. He had 18 points a game. Um, but also that the Rockets won 65 games. But, I mean, if, if you're looking at the award ballot in totality, how many awards do you want to give the Rockets, you know? Because, exactly. like, they could conceivably win a lot of these. And so he might get squeezed. But I agree. Lou Williams, second, um, second uh, six-man award. Uh, okay, next one, make or miss. Victor Oladipo is the only reasonable candidate to win uh, Most Improved. Yeah, I, that's a make, and I think if he's not a unanimous winner this year, then who, like someone should actually lose their their ballot. Over Victor Oladipo. Yes, I'm, yeah. I'm serious, man. Like, I, if you watched this NBA season and you don't have Victor Oladipo first on your ballot for Most Improved Player, you should not be voting on NBA awards. Yeah, he went from a guy who was seen almost as like a salary dump. You know, when the Thunder made that trade for Paul George, part of the conversation was, wow, they get Paul George and they also get off Oladipo's kind of onerous four-year, $80 million million contract. And now he's an all-NBAer. Like, that was just a a ridiculous leap. And I also think in the spirit of what the award really is, Mm -hmm. um, I think he really fits that description so well because it's not like he just got into that conversation by playing more minutes or by, you know, developing along the kind of expected growth curve for a young player. He had played four seasons and seemed like he had become the player that he was going to be for the most part in the future. And then suddenly he just took off, like made one of the most incredible single season leaps that I think we've ever seen. And I agree. I think it should be a unanimous pick. Yeah. And he's up against Clint Capella and Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, nah, come on. It's not close. Uh, make or miss our man, Dwayne Casey, the, uh, inspiration for this podcast, um, deserves to win coach of the year. Yeah, that's a make. And it's going to be hella awkward because it's one thing for a guy to be fired, um, around the time he wins coach of the year or win it after being fired. But Dwayne Casey's probably going to win coach of the year while he's already joined a new team. Like mm. he's going to be at the Pistons table tonight at yeah. the awards show. And he's going to be wearing a baggy suit. <laughs> he's going to be, he's going to accept the award for he's his be wearing a hat really high up on his head. Classic case. Um, yeah. He, he's going to win. I actually think it's a narrow miss. I, I would personally give it to Brad Stevens. Um, I just think that the job that he did uh, with that incredibly uh, injured and in flux roster all season long um, was so so impressive and you know unlike Dwayne Casey that carried over into the playoffs I know it's a regular season award but I, I just think like um, the fact that he has proven time and time again that he can basically uh, make the most out of uh, an unideal situation uh, his adaptability his flexibility with his lineups with the schemes um, I think he he proved to be the best coach in the league this year. True. That this is going to be a closer work because Quinn Snyder is going to get a lot of love as well. And then finally, uh, make or miss, Danny Ainge should win Executive of the Year over Daryl Morey. I'm going to call that a miss. I think uh, Daryl Morey, for one thing, made the most impactful addition in the offseason, getting Chris Paul there, um, and then filling out the roster around Chris Paul and James Harden uh, like 
you know, finding Luke Mumba-Mute uh, on a minimum contract, getting P.J. Tucker there, um, really just like putting the absolute per- perfect personnel in place to maximize uh, the core of, of uh, Harden, Capella, and CP. Um, he just did a masterful job. And uh, look, that team pushed the Warriors to seven games, like uh, gave them all they could handle. And uh, I think for that, he should win. Yeah, I've said it a thousand times. I think he built the perfect team for the modern era. Mm-hmm. His team won 65 games. They won six more games than anyone else, pushed the Warriors to the absolute brink. And again, as great as Ainge is, uh, I still think a lot of what the Celtics are doing right now is as a result of the move he made with Brooklyn years ago. Right. And this isn't like a lifetime achievement award, right? So also, you know, free agency comes into play, whereas I think Maury had to like kind of do these like salary cap gymnastics and had like a bunch of balls in the air mm-hmm. uh, to build this team. So I just think his, the job he did this season specifically was more impressive than Danny Ainge. That's true. Look, I'll just, I'll defend Ainge in this, in this way. Like that trade of Tatum plus a future pick, which is going to be a really valuable lottery pick. Um, in exchange for Markel Fultz, who at this point, I don't even know what his value is. It's nowhere close to being the number one pick um, because of his shooting woes. He didn't even play much in the playoffs. Um, even though he was healthy, um, you know, that's such a steal. That's just such a lopsided trade at the moment that, like, you know, that's going to really work in his favor. And also, we kind of forget that he landed the most wanted fridge in, in the summer. Like, it was Gordon Hayward who was the prize fridge, and uh, it was obviously the Celtics that landed him. Um, him going down with injury shouldn't really negate the fact that they were able to sell themselves, the program, um, to Gordon. And also, like, you know, as many... As much as you could say, like, yeah, look, the Rockets um, added some nice pieces as well in, in, in Tucker and Mute. Like, look, the Celtics are the same thing, right? Like, you, you can't tell me Aaron Baines wasn't as productive as Mute or, like, Marcus Morris, who had such a great playoffs, was um, not as effective as P.J. Tucker, right, who also had a good playoffs. So, I don't know. It's, it's going to be very close. But uh, I think it probably goes to the guy that's more liked. And uh, judging on sort of previous years of voting, uh, Morris has sort of been denied. And it's... Uh, Kind of clear that he's not the most popular guy. And but. and also just to note too, this is the one award that's actually voted on by peers. Like it, this yeah. is voted on by other executives. So if your peers kind of don't like you, it probably affects his voting. Um, okay, that does it for this podcast. Um, you know, it's going to be an exciting time in free agency. If anything major goes down, we'll probably do a podcast um, between now and then. Um, like let's say LeBron opts into his deal, then we might have to go back in this booth. But uh, otherwise, we'll be back on Monday to discuss. Um, all the free agency rumors. Thanks again to Jessica Sharo and also Joe Wolfon. And uh, we'll talk to you next Monday.